city limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, city limits. limits. Ah, here we are. It's um, City Limits and... Uh, is my mic on? It doesn't seem to be. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. Oh, you can't that. hear it? No. You're on mic two today. Oh, am I'm I? Very, Sorry. Yeah. I was, well, I'm, okay, I'll change mics. I know I can hear it. Yeah, I was, you're right. Um, <laughs> Sorry okay. about that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, it's okay. It was my fault. I obviously read the wrong mic. Uh, uh, we, won't, we won't blame it this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the last week. We, it's, it's our a last free week. for all. Yeah. That's right. We've got... Uh, actually, we get, I realise we get an extra week, by the way, because the first Wednesday in February this year happens to be the 7th or something or the 8th. Or, or, no, it's late in the... It's, you know, it's, we oh. get, yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? We get an wonderful. extra long break. Yes, it's great. An uh. extra long break. Oh, and you're going to Tassie somewhere, aren't you? Yeah, I'll go back down and see the folks and all the all the community. Yeah, right, yes. yeah, that'd be good. Hey, do you have anything planned, Kevin? Oh, nothing more than the usual. Just yeah. um, a bit of socialising and yep. maybe the odd trip down the down the surf coast and catch a bit down there or something. Oh, I just poured a tea and didn't. Uh, <laughs> Didn't put it up near the mic. Here we go. We'll pour a tea here. It let people know, by the way, that it's the um, second Wednesday, but even though that's not normally our housing day today, it is our housing day because it is our last day. <laughs> it's a special day. Uh, yes, and I'm going to give you a cup of tea. I didn't ask you, but just take Thank it you, anyway. Kevin. You've got to drink it bad luck. Yep. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's just straight jasmine today, by the way. Lovely. Um, and um, we're going to talk to April Brake from the Housing with the Aged Action Group's coming in the second half of the show and in about 20 minutes or so we're going to also go to Howard Morosi who's been a, on a, an occasional and fairly regular commentator on housing issues this year as well. Howard of course is from People Public Housing and also part of that coalition that Joe Toscano's involved in which I think has a rally today at Parliament House actually. I'm sure Howard will tell us. And we're going to talk to him about an issue that came up this week where it seems and we'll get Howard to explain to us, it seems that the the um, the public housing authority is stopping the distribution of leaflets about the privatisation, what we're calling the privatisation process of public housing, from being distributed in public housing estates, hmm. uh, which is akin, as I said to Howard this morning, it's akin to the landlord determining what tenants can read or can't read. No. And, um, anyway, we'll we'll get some more information on that and just see what it's really all about. But uh, and there's. Plenty as usual happening. We'll run down. We'll do a rundown of what's happened this year, the advances and the the problems that have occurred in housing. I think the advances bit should be fairly short. <laughs> uh. Last time April was on, um, she mentioned that they'd had some successes getting people housed. Yeah, we'll do so that, that first because we always like to end housing on a you know a note where people feel really depressed, really so, sad. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yep. So well, well, yes, that's right. <laughs> Don't want anyone feeling hopeful. <laughs> we'll whip yeah. that up. <laughs> But um, perhaps we should start on a good note this week because it was great to see the CICAN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, get the Nobel Prize. Finally, yeah. we knew they had it, but they actually have it awarded to them this week. Yep. And we know this group started in Melbourne many years ago. We also know, of course, that the nuclear powers themselves are the only ones that haven't joined it, plus the odd hanger-on like um, like Australia. Mm. Um, and we just got a note saying Shane McGrath is coming in instead of April. That's okay. Shane oh. is also from the Housing Age Action Group, of course. 
Um, so, okay. Um, and uh, so it was great to see. And I think one of the more, more pertinent comments that have been made all week is if any other Australian, when Australian wins a Nobel Prize, a few physicists have and chemists and things and mm-hmm. medical people, mm-hmm. uh, suddenly, you know, they're all over the front pages. The government <laughs> congratulates them. They usually have some sort of almost a public ceremony. Mm. In fact, I you think know, they're knighted the, the, often, aren't they? Yes, yeah. the gardens <laughs> of, in, in, of government house or whatever. <laughs> and in this case, the government hasn't even congratulated a group oh. that started in Australia oh. for winning a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, Interesting. Yes, I'm yes. sure they just missed the memo, probably. Yeah. Oh, it's an oversight. There's no yeah. question of yeah. that. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, not, it's <laughs> not intentional. <laughs> oh hell no. No. Um, no, that's right. So the, yeah. um, but uh, anyway, they'll sort it out. But uh, next to that, of course, was the just interesting enough of this, uh, this cutting I've got from Monday's Financial Review. Nobel Peace Prize goes to Australian Anti Nuclear Group. Next to it is Her Majesty bestowing a knighthood on Sir Frank Lowy, which is also very important, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And don't don't they deserve each other? Um, Now, I think um, if you're looking for something for Chrissy, if you want to go home and take something home to the family... I do, um, I need some hints. Okay. Well, you can pick up a whole range of Glenfiddich malt scotches from Dan Murphy. <laughs> and he's smiling broadly. <laughs> yes, Glenfiddich malt scotches. But, you know, with, for the world, those who really like a decent, wonderful malt scotch, you can pick up a 50-year-old single malt Glenfiddich uh, if you want to take it. Okay. Away. Yeah. <laughs> Snap it up. Thank you. Snap it up while what, you can. Okay. This is this is advertising, is it? Yeah. Who's paying you to You can to snap it up for a mere forty four thousand dollars per uh. bottle. <laughs> Seriously. Is that really forty four thousand. Wow. <laughs> I love that they're advertising that. Yeah, I'm proving it, I'm showing it to people. Yep. This historic single malt has been aged for half a century, resulting in a stunning palette of zesty orange, vanilla, herbs and smoke. As it's incredibly rare, there are only two bottles of this Speyside masterpiece available. That's why I say you better dash it and snap it up. <laughs> there's only there's a two bottles. <laughs> only two of them left. <laughs> so, uh, and wh- how would you feel if you walked out of the shop and dropped it? <laughs> <laughs> Entirely possible, yeah. I would do something like that. <laughs> and you'd see some rich dude down her hands and knees, <laughs> licking, <laughs> licking madly off the footpath. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so Amazing. Like, so 44. good to know. Yeah. yeah. If anyone's listening, any of the family back in Tassie, they know what they're getting. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what the cheapest one is if you want to know. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> Get this. You can step up the cheapest one for 57. Ooh. Yeah, there you are. Or right. well, 58, really. 57, 90. They always had that mm-hmm. 90, don't they? Okay. But there you are. Good that's, to know. That's only, um, I think it's only five year old, that one. 12? Oh. No, it's 12 year old. 12 year old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there you are. So that's another possibility for you. <laughs> uh, it's good to have options. Now, this is a bit of a tragedy. Um, headline last Friday. Uh, front page headline, tops call for government to stop bashing business. Top, then the big headline, that's the kicker. Top CEOs admit public trust deficit in con- Australia's top corporate leaders have conceded the community has stopped listening to the corporate sector (laughs) and has called on the government to stop bashing business and start focusing on the role companies play in creating jobs, wealth and economic prosperity. Well, we do that in this program every week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Um, God. Anyway, um, now, can we think of an example of the government bashing business? Is it because they won't give all the banks... 
all of the super money? Is that why? That's possibly <laughs> they haven't done it. that That's, yet. They, they work, but they're trying. They're trying. To. Yeah. yeah, they're trying. Yeah. Um, what else is there? And of course, the company, the role they play in creating jobs, wealth, and economic prosperity. Well, I'm sure the homeless appreciate that enormously. Yeah, <coughs> and everyone mm. who's benefiting from mm. the capitalist system. Well, everyone, yeah. everyone who's benefiting from capital. Yeah. Well put. <laughs> anyone, well, anyone who's benefiting from the capitalist system. <laughs> there, uh, there they are. <laughs> um, speaking of which, <clears throat> and homeless, etc., that's I've never seen the show called The Block on Channel Nine, but we all know what it is. It's people renovating houses and things. You see enough promos all the time to know what the bloody thing is, mm. and they they inspire you not to watch it. <laughs> but um, Channel Nine racked up thousands of dollars in fines for building site breaches during filming of The Block in Elston Week this year. Glen Ira Council revealed 11 infringements were doled out on the Regent Street, etc., etc. The council um, director of planning said it's, it's nine and its contractors were responsible for 11 infringements, which each carried a 1586 fine. Wouldn't that send them broke? 11, that, you know, Channel 9, yeah, gee. Mm, poor things. How are they coping? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, they said they were fined for obstructing the road or footpath, not having a crane permit and making construction noise after hours. Now, mm. the show is supposed to be about people renovating themselves. What, what's this about contractors blocking roads, crane permits, etc.? Um, you know, I've never watched it either. No, but it's, a, but it, I mean, it's promoted as something where people do, do it, it up you know, on their own and they compete with each other and whatever. That's true. Um, so I'm of... not sure about all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but... Um, the nine spokeswoman said the block was a fast-tracked project requiring a large level of construction activity in a condensed period, which justifies breaking every law in the book. Oh. Presumably, you see. So, but well, just the ratings, the, the ratings require you to break the law to get yeah. the ratings. I assume, and um, then you can have all the advertising revenue that lets you pay the fines. So it all works yeah, out in the end. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we might raise with people later in the program the Gatwick actually in St Kilda, which is one of the Melbourne's probably got a fairly bad reputation, but it's a rooming house that provides accommodation for, pe- for, for mm. a particular group of people. Mm. And the Channel Nine's now bought that, and it's going. To, it's going to be the venue for the block this next year. Oh my god! So the Gatwick will become trendified and presumably end up in the hands of the super rich. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, isn't that good? <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Well, there's um, some kind, I feel like there's some kind of irony there, but I can't quite put my finger on it because I haven't had a coffee today. I'm just, no. I'm just operating on green tea. All your heads is bloody tea, jasmine. jasmine yes. tea. Oh, doesn't make my mind no, it clever. Oh, right. just makes me, just well, makes me healthy and full of antioxidants. I think proof that it doesn't make the mind clever is that I drink it all the time. <laughs> and how many years have you been drinking it as well? That's right. And look, look where I am. <laughs> so there you are. Oh. Um, now, this one I found interesting. There's a bloke called Matthew Hooper running for the VRC Members Committee at the VRC, which is the Victoria Racing Club that runs Flemington Racecourse on public property, um, right. on Crown land for which it pays stuff all. Mm. Uh, but he's a lawyer and he's got this grand plan to attract members and make it make life better for them as part of his um, part of his campaign to, to get, get elected. Uh-huh. He wants to have a special gate, a special opening that allows members easy and quick access to the trains after the last race, particularly in Cup Week when it gets very crowded and people queue up and the trains keep coming and okay. going and you get on. Yep. So you give the super rich 
mm-hmm. special access to the train so they can get on while the plebs just hang back and watch them get on. Mm-hmm. That's good, isn't it? Sounds like business as usual. Yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah. Well, no, it's not <laughs> to see the trouble at the moment that members are going to line up with the rest of the plebs. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, in the mud and everything. Oh, well, it can be. You know, rain last year, that's What's right. What's going to happen yeah. to all their clothes, you know? Well, they'll, the they can, well doesn't, that doesn't matter much because at the end of the day, they've already worn them the once and that's they'll, it. They'll pop them in the, in the bin. Down to the Brighton Op Shop. <laughs> oh, is that where all the fashions are? <laughs> I think so. But okay. Well, Good to know. Um, yes, my friend who uh, is an absolute expert on uh, op shops, Australian, uh-huh. Australian champion, Oh, she claimed that... She claimed that the Brighton op shops in the week after Cup Week were the best bargains in <gasps> Melbourne. And she did get a magnificent pair of Italian shoes there. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Writing right. that down. Right. Oh, speaking of which, I don't know why he, he, what the connection is, but Terry Bosley sent me a parcel last week with some CDs and things. That's a bit of my summertime uh, viewing. Terry, I'll be watching that and we'll comment on it next year and the other stuff you sent. But thanks for all that, comrade, and uh, well done. And... Uh, We'll uh, we'll comment on a lot of that stuff next year. What is this you. like documentaries or something? Uh, it's a, it's there's CDs mm. about the worst uh, the worst natural horrors, <gasps> natural calamities that have happened in Australia. Oh my gosh! Um, it's all related to well, yes. So we'll have a look at them. And, uh, wow, you'll yeah. come back with lots of good news. Yeah, about there's, there's five CDs in the set, so it's a bit of watching. I think. <laughs> oh we'll, my gosh! Yeah, yeah well, oh, I hope you'll be out. all right. <laughs> you won't yeah. be too worried about. Well, five DVDs. They're DVDs at least okay. in the set. Yeah, because we'll call them CDs. Okay. Wow. Um, now you'll be pleased to know that a climate group that campaigns against fossil fuels is facing the loss of its charity status and the tax perks that come with it after being accused of political campaigning. And this is th- 350.org. Mm. Um, and they they were part of the campaign at Newcastle last year where the, the coal port was blockaded. If you might, I don't mm. remember that. There was a, quite a large blockade there. Mm. Uh, but they're being taken on by the... Um, the, the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission because they've broken the thing. They've, they've been engaged in political activity. In, as in because because of that action? Yes, yes. They've been engaged in political activity. Erica Betts says they're, um, he, he wants to curb third-party anti-conservative. You know, he wants to curb activism mm. by those who oppose him. Mm. Um, but mm. he says... Um, you know, it's, they need to move faster to catch up with these people, he says, you know. Mm. By the time the bureaucracy catches up, the election is won or lost, uh, Eric said. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, you want to protect charities, but I can also see how the charitable status has been used and abused for blatant political purposes. <laughs> Isn't that dreadful? Interesting. Yes, for old Eric. So, uh, um, but Get Up has been um, yeah, that's under they're fire targeted as well. well. Yeah, they're yeah. aiming. Well, they aim for all of them. I mean, Foe and all those groups are yeah. under threat by all this. And Tasmania, where Eric is, Eric Abetz is uh, the senator of. Yes, yes. You know, um, they, the state government there had some very strong anti-protest laws. Put, mm. That they put through, I can't remember exactly when, but then it was challenged by Bob Brown, mm. and uh, he won. So yeah. go Bob. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a funny thing growing up in Tasmania and having this <laughs> this kind of repre- political representation. Uh, Bob Brown on one hand, Eric Abbott on, on the other hand. You know, like, that's right. Well, yeah, because they had that other dreadful creature for years, the DLP bloke. Um, 
his name will come to me, but he was he was quite dreadful as well. Oh. Who used to do deals with governments all down the line. Yeah, there's um, a lot of. But those. on that point, um, there's a bloke called it was it was mentioned on the Brecky show this morning as well here. Um, this bloke um, Gary. Um, What's his name again? Gary, it'll come to me. Mm. Having, a, having a memory thing this morning. Mm. Um, but he um, he's a former Labor minister, but he's arch-conservative. He went and worked for the Institute of Public Affairs mm. uh, and other groups, mm. and he was part of their campaign because they're one of the leaders of the campaign to have charities um, that that mm. take political action that mm. they don't like, mm. uh, to, you know, lose their tax tax perks and mm. status, to, mm. or we call them perks, mm. as the headline says. But... Um, but he's just been put in Gary Johns, that's his name, Gary Johns. Oh, yeah. He's just been put in charge of this commission. He's um oh. just been appointed this week by the government to run the Australian Charities and Not the Profit Commission, which mm-hmm. is the one aiming its ta- targeting these uh, groups. It's so. interesting. They're taking a leaf out of the Trump presidency in America yeah, and putting right. people in charge yeah. of institutions and commissions and investigative bodies who clearly want to undermine the strength of the actual institutions and that's bodies right. that they're there right. to investigate. Exactly. So, yeah. Dracula in charge of the fox in the hen. Yeah, it's all yeah. those quotes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So <laughs> yeah. they're obviously, you know, in line with global political political sort of And just before process. we go to um we go to um Howard uh, the the ongoing thing about the thing you raised about super funds we've mentioned over the last couple mm. of weeks it's ongoing mm. and um, in fact there was a headline this week um, last Thursday or so uh, that I won't need to go on it's a um, it's a think piece so called in the Fin Review the headline a cave in to union super bullies. Now, you don't need to read on, do you? <laughs> um, it's written by a bloke called Andrew Bragg, who's listed as a former Director of Policy and Global Markets at the Financial Services Council 2013-16. He was responsible for introducing the superannuation government standard for the council. What, the, what they don't say, though, in that little piece there about him is that, uh, and this is, I think, worth noting, because uh, he's just listed as that, mm. but also... After leaving it in 2016, he became director of the Menzies Research Institute. Now, that's the fundraising body for the Liberal Party. Oh. Uh, And then had a stint as acting federal director of the Liberal Party. Mm. He now works for the Business Council of Australia. So here's a man who really... Oh, what a pity. I mean, Mm. well, I think we have to listen to his every word, don't we, in this situation? No bias here. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No bias. No, well, when it, when your headlines talks about bullies, that's already starting from a little bit of a well, thinking, yeah, <laughs> it's not exactly impartial, is it? Oh, <laughs> it can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just in this case, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, now, David Murray also wrote another think piece. Um, this was Wednesday last week. Few ever see the unintended harm of a bank probe. This follows the front page headline same day, bank probe threat to the system. And David's an ex-CEO of the Commonwealth Banks, and he'd know all about that, and he's raised in banking. Mm. He's the one who's done a couple of reports on the economy for the government, and they quote him often in saying it's essential that um, while he's saying the thing against the banks is all wrong, it's going to you know, shake investor confidence, mm-hmm, etc. Mm-hmm. He's a he's one of the big proponents, often quoted, of the need to have independent directors on super funds. So, um, 
So David covers all areas. Um, and uh, <laughs> go quite follow, again, though. the same weeks. I mean, they're un- they're un- they're relentless. They're unrelenting. Mm. Case for independent super trustees is clear. This headline says. Oh. This paper is really running a campaign here. Mm. Uh, company directors have dismissed the move by Labor, the Greens and crossbench senators to stymie the Turnbull government's plans to improve governance standards in the superannuation sector, arguing there is a clear case for having more independent directors on boards. And this, this, the expert here is Angus Amore. Mm. What a lovely name. It's what I love. Yeah. Angus Amore. Lovely. Chief Executive of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. So, again, <laughs> you've got Angus who's, uh, who would know about these things because mm-hmm. he's experienced. Mm-hmm. And it's also, of course, in that sentence, in the just the straight reporting of it, there's an assumption to stymie the term of government's plans to improve governance standards. Now, um, we might argue they will, in fact, set them back. Mm. Yeah, when you start with something that talk about something as if it's already self-evident that it's the best option, you're not yeah. leaving a lot of space for no. conversation. No. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need it in this case at yeah. all. All well, all well. Are you going to yeah. keep reading all these when we're on break, Kevin? No. Do you still read it? Do you, do you just do, sit at I home do. just fuming? I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I must say, but of course, when I get back, there's so much. Yeah, there's a really big backlog. It'll just be yeah. a whole hour of we'll just, Herald Sun We'll just finish articles. on this note. Um, the Fair Work the Fair Work Ombudsman has launched its first legal action against a Caltex franchisee, but they're actually investigating loads of them, and there's more reports coming out. But this one um, is said to have underpaid its workers. Um, they were paying twelve dollars an hour, which was half the award rate to workers, most of whom are overseas students, etc. Mm. Uh, but they owe thousands and thousands these Caltex bases, and Caltex itself says it's looking into it. You know the usual thing: once they get sprung, well, mm. it's our franchisees. Mm. We didn't know this was mm. going on, did we? Mm. But similar, while we're talking about great oil companies, Exxon Mobil has not paid a cent in corporate income tax in Australia for at least two years, despite reaping more than eighteen billion from the nation's natural resources. Yeah, and that was a study done on behalf of unions, admittedly, because they're currently in a dispute with them down in Gippsland. Yeah, um, but it was done by an independent um, group, mm. and um, there you are. But um, mm. but they do say that they they explain that they. Uh, they made a significant contribution to the Australian economy through the reliable supply of energy to fuel economic growth, they point out. Oh, uh, my God. Yes, yeah, that's right. So nothing wrong with that. Uh, let's oh. take a break and get Howard Morosi on the line and stop right. talking nonsense. Okay. <laughs> but Howard's on the line, so we'll pop me through. Right, yeah, we will probably go around in circles with Howard because we, you know, we seem to repeat the same ground in housing. But how, <laughs> how, that's one of the problems, isn't it? We're getting to the end of the year, but have we advanced much? Kevin? Gary yes. Johns. Gary Johns, yep. There was a name you're thinking of. Yeah, I, oh. I, I came up with it eventually. I did. I did remember it. You must have chewed out. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry about that. No, don't worry. You, you, my memory's having an awful day. What's your name again? Um, <laughs> anyway, Howard Morosi is from People for Public Housing. You're also part of the broader group, which is now called what's it called again, Howard? The Public group? Housing Defence Network. That's exactly it. Um, look, we will kick off though with. Um, this issue of, uh, and I presume it's, it's accurate, although it was in the Herald Sun, so there's a bit of a question mark. But the, the argument is that the, the authority, the housing authority, is, is preventing um, material being distributed in, 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 on estates that, in fact, attacks the privatisation process, I assume. So is that the case? Uh, yeah, apparently it is. Um, I've spoken to um, the Greens about it, uh, and... Um, they confirm that's correct. Um, the actual article 
uses a lot of quotation marks when they quote the Greens. Uh, they don't use quotation marks when they... In other words, they say uh, Adam Band has written to Foley expressing quotation marks outrage as though it's, you know, it's it's questionable. Yeah. His outrage is questionable. Mm. Um, and you, when they quote um, the spokesperson for the Health and Human Services Department, they don't use quotation, quotation marks when they quote her um, excuse. Apparently the excuse is not actually... Well, what's quoted is not correct. Um, so just for the benefit of people, uh, the Greens a few months ago, I think it was three months ago, um, tried to get access to the mail room inside um, some of the estates to distribute information about the privatisation program of uh, the Andrews government. And um, apparently it's just a process where someone has to let them into the mail room and then they put the um, pamphlets in the, the residents' letterboxes. Um, that's not made clear in the article. If that was made clear, it would be quite obvious that the excuse that's given by um, the department is not correct. Uh, the department claims that um, recent increases of mail material had created a backlog. Well, that's just not relevant if you're talking about someone turning up with a key, letting someone else into a room where they put the mail in the uh, letterboxes themselves. It's got nothing to do with it. Um, so that that's basically it. So the, the Greens have been pre prevented for something like three months um, from trying to inform uh, the, the tenants about um, the privatisation process by, and that's been done by the department in the service of the government. Mm. Uh, uh, now, this point about the thing being locked anyway, I mean, a, a, people should have ac open access to letterboxes in a sense. I mean, I, people can, anyone can put anything in my letterbox at home. Um, is the argument that, that things will get stolen or something if it's on public housing, because we know what public housing is, don't we? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't exactly know the, the reason. I can try to find out. Um, but given that, that's given the restriction, the, the restriction is being uh, abused by the government mm. to um, to stop um, information. But yeah. you know, what, there's, there's nothing to stop the uh, so-called free free media from mm. talking about the privatisation process, but they don't. Um, you know, three CR is talking about the privatisation of public housing. The Age won't, won't mention that word. Uh, Herald Sun definitely won't mention that word. Um, the Age actually had a, a letter, uh, an article, a large article in yesterday's paper um, talking about uh, quoting a uh, testimony from one of the de developers to the inquiry, which is going on uh, in the Legislative Council at the moment. The, the developer supposedly saying something so terrible to the effect that um, they didn't want a mixture of private uh, apartments with public uh, developments because it made things harder to sell. Well, that's true, but um, the article then goes on to quote the Victorian Public Tenants Association, uh, you know, having a spirited defence of public tenants. Well, the, the VPTA, the Victorian Public Tenants Association, is regarded with contempt by public housing tenant activists. Uh, I know lots of public housing tenant activists. I work with them. They have nothing but contempt for the VPTA. The VPTA is a misnomer. They don't represent public housing tenants. And yet the age quotes them, and only them. They won't quote us. They won't quote any other public housing te uh, tenant activists. The age only quotes the VPTA when they want to talk about uh, public housing. Mm. Uh, so the age is a disgrace. 
Um, although they did some, they did publish some good letters last week, but that's the only time I've ever seen them do anything useful um, uh, or do much useful on the issue. Uh, of course, the Herald Sun, occasionally you get a, an article like the one you just talked about. ABC, apparently uh, some activists went on John Fain's show. I didn't hear it myself, but it was reported to me that they went on and they were rubbished mm-hmm. by John Fain. Um, so 3CR, good on you, Kevin. Uh, good on good on the rest of the station. Uh, we've got lots of people involved in our campaign and they've all come through either 3CR or social media. No one's come come to our campaign and say, oh, I read about it in the in the Age or the Herald Sun or heard about it on the ABC. So in terms of motivating people to activism, 3CR, social media is where it's at, not the mainstream media. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I have a dislike for because um, you may when he was at the Fitzroy Legal Service and we used to drink at the Standard Hotel, John Fain and I would plot um, public housing, uh, pro-public housing campaigns and uh, uh, we'd go out and stuff up auctions and things or we even auctioned Bob Hawke's house in Sandringham at one stage and um, I was. I always went along as um, the. I was Rick. Mag- uh, my name was Rick McGrab of Take, 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 and Take, <laughs> real estate agents and valuers, and um, and John was heavily involved in that. And now you've got the same man. Now he's at the ABC, um, attacking public housing. Apparently, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. look, I think you really need to do a show yourself, Kevin, of your uh, your reminiscences of uh, public housing because it's fascinating stuff. Mm. I'd love to hear more of it. Yeah, well, um, mm, you know, see we, if we can yeah. ever get Kevin to be the interviewee. <laughs> <into the interviewer. laughs> yeah, not going to happen. Uh, there was, um, Howard, there was a bloke called Tony Keenan from Launch, Launch Housing, quoted again in The Age as an independent, not for profit agency with a mission to end homelessness. Now, this was in The Age um, a couple of weeks ago, December 4. Um, now, he's, he, in fact, the headline is Rich Areas Need to Back Public Housing. Did you see the article? It, it, yeah, I saw that article. Yes. It's another disgrace. But he, he, inter, he intersperses, he interchanges public and social all the time, but he really means social. Yeah. But he attacks the Greens and Labor for knocking on, not Labor, the coalition in the, in the Greens uh, to veto the housing development in Ashburton, which he says was so essential. Now, that's part of the whole program to privatise public housing, is it not? Yeah, look, uh, I, from memory, Ashburton involves something like 70-75% private housing and 20-25% uh, um, what, what's going to be probably community housing. He won't say that. He's not independent. The age, you just, you just refer to a quote of him as being independent. He's not independent. He represents the community housing sector. The age won't say that. He won't say that. He's actually talking next Monday um, at a meeting organised by the No Homeless Band group. Um, so uh, I'd encourage people to go along and and, uh, and put him in the picture that we know exactly what he, who he is and what he is, and he really shouldn't even be at that forum because um, he doesn't represent public housing. He actually attacks public housing. He wants public housing to be destroyed and transferred over to community housing. Um, and launch housing, again... But what you, what you just referred to before about uh, their attacks on the Greens, the Greens have actually worked with us, with public housing uh, activist groups and with public housing tenant activists to develop their policy. We're happy with their policy. We're happy with them blocking um, what is not a renewal. It is a dem- demolition of public housing. It's a dislocation of public housing tenants. It's a privatisation of something like 70 or 75% of the land. And the rest of it is a giveaway to uh, probably 
as far as we can tell, because the government won't tell us, but it's probably a giveaway to the community housing sector of genuine public housing. Um, so that's VCOS, that's VPTA, that's launch housing, that's the age, and uh, they're attacking the Greens and we're supporting the Greens. Uh, we, we regard the Greens as our champions. We were delighted when Lydia Thorpe um, took up the uh, issue of public housing in the Northcote by-election and smashed the Labor Party. Um, the age won't talk about that as an issue, of course. Um, sorry to go on about the age because uh, oh. they just really... They, they have far too much yeah, influence. I am getting. I, I might be getting this wrong, but I'm getting a feeling you don't like it too much. <laughs> look, I, look, I do love them, but uh, not on this issue. <laughs> okay. Uh, in fact, during that campaign, I heard a vox pop during one of the it was the protest at Northcote. In fact, about the housing estate there, where um, a resident said that um, she had asked the ALP candidate and the ALP candidate simply mouthed the party's position on this issue, which is, I'm sure is one of the reasons she lost the election. Yeah, it is. And the um, tenant actually tried to get a meeting with her on, I think, something like three occasions, and she couldn't find the time to meet with her. Um, so, mm. well, I'm sorry, Claire Burns, but you deserve to lose that election. Mm. And actually, Lydia, um, if you're interested in seeing Lydia's maiden speech to Parliament, she actually talks about her experience with public housing. So again, Lydia hasn't, you know, just put the issue um, aside once she's once she's been elected, and we're looking to Lydia to keep supporting public housing. Mm. Um, Howard, you're as opposed to some of the other organisations, um, you guys are working directly with people in public housing. So obviously, you have a, a a better idea of what people are asking for and um, so can you sort of um, give us some specifics of what your aims are and what you're working towards? Yeah for sure so um, we oppose the ALP's uh, renewal program uh, for the reasons I talked about before Mm. Um, they're uh, at the moment um, look it's possible to argue that there could be a replacement of some of the um, uh, public housing uh, units with more intense uh, density of public housing there, mm. but that's not what's proposed. Um, at the moment, we, most of the units are actually still livable. They're not obsolete. The government's actually misleading people to say they're uh, obsolete and unlivable. Mm. Um, some of them need some maintenance. Some of them, very few of them, need to be pulled down and rebuilt. Um, so you could actually leave what's there, mm. there at the moment, mm. and stay in government hands. Mm. And then there's opportunities to build public housing elsewhere. Um, the government's actually seized a whole lot of uh, properties through the East-West Link um, program, which didn't go ahead. Mm. And they're now talking about doing the same sort of thing as what they're doing with the public housing units. They're talking about selling off most of them, almost all of them, on the private market. Mm. Now, they're houses that could be used for public housing, mm. and they're going to keep a small amount... Um, to demolish and then rebuild, probably along the similar lines of what they're doing now for community housing. So there you go. There's the, all those East West Link properties could be used for public housing uh, or rebuilt as public housing. Mm. Uh, Fisherman's yeah. Bend is actually be is a massive redevelopment which is going on. Um, the, the government, I'm not quite sure exactly whether it was. Kevin, do you know if it was public uh, land previously, the Fisherman's Bend? I think they actually did buy it's, it off. It's a mixture of public and private, but it's, um, yeah, but but the, the whole, there is, there is ample scope in that development for proper public housing. And, and the public, the government statement about the um, East-West link houses, yeah, they're going to flog most of them, but the, the ones that they're going to 
retain are going to be for social housing, so they keep using social housing all the time. Yeah, well, the thing to remember is that social housing is a term that used to be used to, to refer to um, both community housing and public... Uh, sorry, only, only used to be used to refer to community housing, but the state government, uh, I think it was earlier this year or late last year, passed legislation so that the term social housing could mean either public housing or community housing. So we don't yeah. know... When, they, when, they, when anyone refers to social housing, we don't know anymore whether it's public housing or community housing. Well, the but, government recently, had, you know, picking up your point, and Shane McGrath from the Housing VH Action Group wanted to do the studio. He might want to join this at any stage and comment. But um, uh, the government recently announced 39 sites they want to flog off um, to help balance the budget. But they're all sites that could be... And most of them are in... You know, in ideal locations for public housing. One's the old Peter Mac uh, site up at the top of um, top of the Treasury Gardens. Um, so um, there's ample room there for uh, the government just building public housing on land it owns. Oh, Kevin, thanks for that. Is there a list somewhere? Because we really need to get that in. No, I, the, no, I, well. I, the, the article I read was about the Peter Mac site, but it said the government has 39 sites. It didn't list them, but um, you, you might know more, do you, Shane? No, I don't, but I mean, you're, you're just talking crazy. You're saying the government should, should what, use this land for public housing mm-hmm. instead of selling it off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> we go mad here at the times on our program. Well, you time. did ask what we could do, so I mean, that's what we could do, in theory. Yeah. 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 Well, this bloke again, going back to our old mate Tony Keenan, um, he says, is, is the public housing renewal program ideal? No. Does the sector think a 10% uplift in public housing is sufficient? Absolutely not. But then he goes on, of course, to argue. But the 10% uh, is the government figure, but that's really an obfuscation, isn't it? We've mentioned yeah. it a number of times. Yeah, it's misleading because um, it's a, a 10% increase. Firstly, it's probably not going to be of public housing probably going to be community housing. Secondly, it's a 10% increase in units, uh, but it's actually a decrease in the total number of bedrooms that's going to be available. So the number of people that are going to be accommodated is actually going to drop. In the case of Northcote and the Walker Street estate, we calculated the figures as being, I think it was from memory, something like a 20-25% drop in the number of bedrooms. So it's, a, it's actually a reduction uh, in the... Um, the, the number of uh, people that are going to be accommodated. And yet, again, it, it illustrates to people that Tony Keenan is just selling a government line. He's not interested in uh, revealing the truth or clarifying their misleading statements. Mm. You mentioned he's speaking next Monday, you said. Um, yeah, no homeless ban. There's the 24-hour gap thing there. We better get it down to a particular time and place. <laughs> Do you know uh, the time and place? Uh, uh, Right, good question. Uh, it's Move a, on. Um, <laughs> if people want to know about it, you should go to our uh, Facebook page. It's mm-hmm. posted there. Uh, I'll, try, um, I'll try and find it. It's at Deakin page. University. Um, yeah, look, I haven't got it you know right at hand at the moment. What, the city campus or which campus do we know? We don't know any. Yeah, city, city campus. Right, OK. It's a rally about the no homeless ban. Is that what it is? So it's a Googling. discussion, yep. discussion, okay. a public lecture. Oh, a public lecture, right. So, right. look, if it's not on our um, Public Housing Defence Network Facebook page, I'll put it up there. Is he the public lecturer? Uh, no. Um, he, he's, he's one of the speakers. Right. So Spike will be, Spike from uh, Homeless Persons Union will be talking oh, and a couple of other academics that's, as that's well. better. Mm. Yeah. Um, there was a report recently, and again, both of you, in terms of what we're talking about generally and the need for housing, um, a report came out uh, that said 
that low-income earners are being forced to the outskirts of Victorian cities by rising rents. Mm. Households, including pensioners and single parents on below-average wages, can no longer afford to live anywhere in Melbourne, Geelong or Bendigo, according to SGS Planning and Economics. Uh, the index shows that households earning 50 grand a year looking for a two-bedroom room rental must move at least 11, at least 113k from Melbourne, and it goes on. It points out that um, the closest for a 50,000 a year income household to live without being in rent stress are Seymour, Moey, and Ballarat East. I mean, it's getting pretty desperate, isn't it? Or you're I mean, getting away from it all, I guess. But I mean, you're yeah. also talking about places that have like less services, less access to good public transport, all the things that you actually need if you, you know, to to go with your your house that you can afford. And if you talk to people who work for intake at homelessness services, they'll just tell you they're shoveling people into these garbage private rental units that have no access to services. They're going to be stuck there because there's no public transport in these new neighbourhoods. You know that that that's the situation that people are being forced into. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason why they're cheaper. Yeah, yeah, because there are no services. People yeah, yeah. don't want to live there for that reason. That's right. Well, well Graham Curry's um, research group at um, Monash also brought out a report in the last week or two um, saying just that, that public transport services are not keeping up with rapid population growth despite calls, etc. Um, and it makes the point, a person without much money in the inner city can get access to public transport more cheaply than a car. They go, why would I spend my money on a car? I've got an alternative. But for workers in you know outs- places, mm. once you get outside that inner urban belt, uh, they've got real problems. And they quote a, a household that has to have four cars down on the Mornington Peninsula somewhere. And that's pretty common in those areas. So it's, um, yeah, though all those things go hand in glove, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The, the you know the money that you're theoretically saving because you're you're not in rental stress you're paying more because you know your badly insulated house requires constant heating and air conditioning you're running your car all the time because there's no services nearby mm. okay, got to get to the shops like That's all right. that stuff mm. and you're polluting at the same time yeah. I mean you have no choice and this like this is a system that's working how it's supposed to it's keeping people trapped in poverty like it's supposed to it's not a breakdown of a system that's supposed to be lifting people up mm. Mm. that's a really important point actually. Um, then you wouldn't get that impression from the, the general discussion that yeah. um, it, it is actually the, the reason we find ourselves in our situation at the moment is because the system is working the way it's supposed to. It it works for the uh, capitalist investor. It doesn't work for the end user, the consumer. It doesn't work for the worker. Mm. Um, same situation with wages. You know, lo and behold, the wages aren't keeping up with cost of living. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm. Did you see there was a report just, I think it was yesterday, that um, consumer spending has, has been flat ever since they cut penalty rates? It's like, well, amazingly, when you cut people's wages, their, their spending doesn't go up. And then, yes. and then when we, we come back with the solution, so which is to build up, build up unions, we're, yeah. we're told that you know, it'll destroy the economy. Well, whose economy are we talking about? Mm. We're talking about the capitalist economy. And it, it shows the fact that although... We, we get public discussion about the problems. Yeah. There's no real serious um, desire to, to address solutions because because the people that actually create the problems for us are the people that benefit from those problems. They're the ones that control the agenda. Yeah. Well, two people who have devoted their lives to the working class, Julia Gillard and Paul Keating, um, <laughs> are doing their bit at the moment for, for housing stress um, and rent stress. Julia has joined the board of the Lieberman family CBS Lane. It's a property, finance and investment house. 
And she said, I'm intrigued by the work that it does, property financing, which would be a pretty gripping subject, I would think. <laughs> um, and um, anyway, she's been there for five months, but, but it, it says, proving that secrets are better kept in the cloisters of Collins Street than in Canberra, Ms Gillard has already been on the board for five months without word leaking, so leaking would indicate they're a bit ashamed of it. Mm. I don't know why. Uh, but we're pleased to know that Paul Keating has taken a role in MaxCap, a rival property finance house. So they're both now involved in property finance with these big companies. So they're doing their bit for the, the stressed housing stressed, I would have thought. Yep, they're doing their bit to increase the stress, yep, for sure. That's right, yes. Well, what, what is it with these people? I mean, you know, like they've got, they've got um, salaries or whatever they have, pensions or superannuation that can keep them in the lap of luxury for the rest of their lives. And yet they've still got to keep building more and more uh, and ripping off the work, workers to do it. You know, it's, what is it? You know, people just get into that culture and um, just take on the whole mentality. Mm-hmm. It's just like you've got to go the whole, you can't, there's no, they just do not draw the line. They just cannot say enough is enough. No, no. Well, well, never is enough. Well, you can, yeah, we won't even go into that. Now, the, I mean, again, um, Property New South Wales has announced the sale of seven properties worth about $22 million as part of the Millers Point sales program, located at 46, etc., Colonial Terrace, um, 1826 Colonial Georgian Terrace. Um, sold for $6.3 million. Now, this is a beautiful... This was public housing. I've mentioned many times in this program, saved by the green bands back in the 70s. But I used to live... I used to stay there quite regularly. A cousin lived there in public housing. And, um, you know, the, you'd watch the developers drool. You know, this site, which is overlooks the overlooks the bridge. You go down to the, the quay in the morning and get the paper. And it's just the most beautiful site, saved for public housing. And the government's flogging it off on the excuse it can then buy more housing, more public housing. But, of course, that's all going to be in the outer mm. suburbs. And it probably won't be public housing anyway. Well, it probably Mm. won't. But, um, you know, here we had perfect public housing in an ideal spot and it's all being flogged off to developers. Well, I guess we can can take a positive out of that in the sense that at least we haven't gone down that path as far and we've still got a chance to say what we got. Mm. So, you know, like I should say that, Wayne, you asked how the campaign was going. Our campaign's going really well. We've got a whole lot of um, people that have come into the campaign who are just ordinary people who have learned about the campaign from social media. Um, they're people that might have had a, might have a parent in um, public housing. They might have grown, grown up in public housing. They might live next door to public housing. And um, they, they know now what's going on and they actually want to help. They come to our meetings. They um, distribute leaflets. They go door knocking with us. Um, it's great. The socialist groups have gotten involved big time as well, um, and the Greens, of course. Um, so the campaign's going really well, and I'd encourage anyone out there who wants to actually be part of the solution to actually get onto our Facebook pages and, and join in the campaign. So that's um, Public Housing Defence Network or Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. And uh, you'll find it's a very rewarding thing as well because we actually do... We don't just sit around and talk. We actually do things which are actually uh, possibly going to make the difference between saving public housing and not. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the growth of, of public housing activism has been one of the most most positive political developments in Victoria this year. It's, it's really good to see. Yeah, it's gone through the roof. Yeah. And I should also say Housing for the Age Action Group uh, is, has played a very big role as well. Uh, April, of course playing the initial role of bringing 
us the uh, or ringing the alarm bells last year, which then got the campaign kicked off. And of course, uh, HAG is part of the Hands Off Public Housing campaign mm-hmm. uh, with the Unitarian Church and uh, Fair Go for Pensioners. Yeah. Are there any signs at this stage that the government's starting to buckle under this pressure? Well, they're certainly uh, worried about it. Um, and it's yeah, having, they're like stealing people's mail, aren't they? At this point, <laughs> yeah, that's how worried they are. Yeah, I suppose you're right. <laughs> and also they're losing votes. I mean, they are losing votes over it. Um, we're at the stage now where a lot of public... Ha- we, we actually get responses from public housing tenants. There's no way they're going to vote Labor. Uh, that can make the difference between the Greens uh, winning a seat well, maybe a number of inner-city seats and Labor uh, winning the, those seats. So that could actually make a big difference. And that could be a springboard for actually uh, what we need, which is actually the Greens and le- more left-wing parties to be in government instead of these um, pathetic right-wing capitalist uh, governments which don't represent 90% of the population. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, you can, you can take a lot of heart out of this and you can say it's a good sign for the future in terms of bring out bring about true democracy and true uh, true positive government, mm. um, you know. But, but it is a it is a basic economic issue, and economics is one of the main. I mean, people talk about human rights, talk about refugees, talk about gay rights. Very important, yes. But economics is really also one of the main issues, which has been ignored uh, or marginalised by the left for a long, long time, and. Um, Housing, of course, is the most important economic issue in terms of how much it takes up for your budget, mm. how important it is for your health and well-being. And uh, we're actually making inroads on this issue. If we can make inroads on this issue, we can attract a whole lot of other ordinary people to the cause because we've, we've actually uh, established our uh, credentials and our credibility um, as good economic managers. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really agree with what you're saying there about the economic issues and especially housing issues being marginalised. I mean, refu- re- I take your point, but refugee issues are fundamentally about things like housing and access to resources. You know, gay politics are fundamentally about housing, how people live together, things like that. I think that there's a tendency for us to, to abstract those things out and try and separate them, but really they are always connected. Yeah, but housing's been ignored by the left for a long time. Well, I don't think any refugee organisation would tell you they ignore housing, for example. Housing for the general population has been ignored by the left for a long time. I've got no doubt about that. All right. Well, obviously, we don't agree, but that's, that's cool. We have about eight minutes left. I'd love to get yeah. an update on what's happening with housing for the age. Yeah, I was about to yeah. say, you're going, yeah. Ah, oh, well. Did you have anything to raise when you came in here today? Oh, I don't know. What, what did I have to talk about? Yeah. The um, Well, we've got our volunteers' Christmas party on this Friday. If anyone, any of our volunteers or members no. want to come down. Um, but, I mean, it, it's been a big year for us in good and bad ways. The... Um, Got, we've expanded our retirement housing work, and it's been pretty important. Um, expanded our housing support starting up in the Barwon region. Um, what else? We've got a great committee working really well with the staff to, to grow the organisation into the future. Right. All right. There we are. How, well, let's, well, let's, you know, the end of the year, as I said at the start of the show, if we talk about the advances in housing this year and then the well, the setbacks, the advances bit should be pretty quick, but we take that every year cynically. But uh, have we had any advances this year? Um, in terms of the actual uh, outcome for the residents, 
Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of public, I suppose you could, uh, what you've just talked about, the way that this campaign has got people together is, is an advance in some ways, isn't it, what you just said, that in fact people now are getting together and it's become an issue. Yeah, well, I know what you mean. Like, we actually don't, and Shane can actually confirm this, but I don't think we've had any extra public housing built for a long time, any net public housing gains. No. So in that sense, we haven't. But Arguably um, this century, I would have thought. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So, but but uh, we actually have slowed down the government's um, attempts to evict uh, the tenants from those nine estates, which are um, subject to the demolition and privatisation program. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely a gain, and um, it's going to make it hard for the government now. We've, we've actually managed to mobilise the Greens on the issue as well. Mm-hmm. So now we've actually got a, a strong parliamentary voice, which we didn't have before. Um, so. In terms of the actual, I mean, things there's inertia involved. So you get you you, you mobilise a force, and and you see the results on the ground, you know, like sometime down the track. Um, so we've now got that strong force, and so I I expect we'll see the results down the track, on the ground. So you know, it's a matter of time, I would say. It's not probably not as like, like kind of sexy and appealing, but another big win for public tenants this year was the Ombudsman's report about public housing debt collection practices. Uh, they just slammed public, the the department, the director, for basically just making up fake debts uh, of, of thousands and thousands of dollars and slamming public tenants with them, especially outgoing public tenants. Mm. Uh, and some of the changes that are going to come out of that report should be should be really good. So is there are positives, good God. Well, mm. So on this basis, how at this time next year, Melbourne should be just full of public housing, is that the case? Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe give it another year after that, I think. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> we only have a couple minutes left, yeah. but I have a question for both of our guests. I'm just wondering if, if you guys are seeing any um, community-based self-organising alternatives to both you know, the commercial housing market and the public housing market. Because obviously the public housing market doesn't meet all the needs of the people who are in rent stress or experiencing homelessness. Do you see any creative solutions or alternatives? I mean, the most common way that people sort of uh, survive the private rental market, I guess, is through share housing in different ways. And, Mm. you know, being a a family is one kind of share housing Mm. or or living with friends or or acquaintances is another kind. Mm. Um, But, I mean, beyond that, like... More institutional, institutionally creative responses like housing co-ops and things tend to be so caught up in the bureaucracy that's required to get them going, mm. like the crazy amounts of red tape. And of course, the government wants to cut red tape for businesses, not mm. for the community. Yep. Mm. Um, the, I, I know people who've tried to get co-ops going and it's just just proved to be impossible. Mm-hmm. I look, I actually don't see co-ops as being an answer because the problem is land value and, uh, and the actual um, profit-driven uh, aspect of the sector. Um, you might be able to um, uh, get a group together, but you're still faced with the problem of actually either buying a property yourself, which which at inflated prices, or um, uh, or uh, or renting. And again, you know, you're you're renting an inflated inflated prices from the landlord, so which is the case with share houses at the moment. So what what's required if you don't want to go down the public housing route, uh, you're actually looking at having to the government to step in to reform the policy on uh, private housing, and there's lots of ways they can do that. Um, you know, at least the Labor Party at the federal level is talking about getting rid of negative gearing, and um, uh, I think that they might also be talking about restoring the capital gains tax to the level it should be. 
Um, so those two things would, would be a start. But yeah, there's lots of other things you can do as well. Um, you can restrict the number of houses that any person can own so that it knocks a whole lot of uh, people out of the market and makes it less competitive and therefore reduces uh, the inflationary pressure on, on yeah. uh, land we're values. Out of, we're out of time, Howard, but so we're going to have to leave it there. But more next year we'll be back with nothing's going to change over the break, I don't think, but let's hope it does. But would it be lovely if we came back and found the government saying, let's build lots that and lots of That would be nice for how place. much my Those rent Those 39 costs. sites will make public housing. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Oh, I should mention uh, we've got a rally today at yeah, noon. That's right. Noon at Parliament. Yep. Defending extent. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, Howard, look, thanks for your time this year, and we'll catch up with you again next year. And um, Shane, thank you and all the other people from Housing with Age to have come in time and again mm. and keep thanks us going. Thanks okay. for having us. All right. Thanks. thanks. See you guys. Meg, thanks. thank you. And particularly thanks, I think. Um, to Andy over there, who's been coming in every week and keeping us going and uh, doing great things. Back next year, back in February we are. Goodbye.